How are we doing, Revolution? Good to see you guys. Been a while since I've uh, been here. Um, I appreciate the prayers you guys have been sending my way. Things are slowly but surely um, getting better. Um, and though I love you guys, I'm going to have to leave you early tonight because um, my father, who's been in ministry for 42 years in this town, uh, they are roasting him tonight. He doesn't know that. And so I'm showing up. Um, very few times in my life have I got to stand in public and make fun of my father, and I am not passing that up. So I am, <laughs> I am going. Uh, it is payback time, baby. All right. We are plowing through the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to be in Mark 4 tonight. We're going to start Chapter 4 of Gospel of Mark. If you want to go there, if you're using uh, the Blue Bibles, uh, that would be page 601, I believe. We are going to um, look there at the first 20 verses. We're going to go through 4, 1 through 20 tonight. We're also going to jump back and look at a few verses um, from Psalm 27. We'll do that later. But let's take a look at what uh, God has inspired uh, in the Gospel of Mark in, in Mark 4. Talk about that, and then we're going to talk about anxiety tonight. What anxiety is, where it comes from, how to deal with it in a biblical way. Let's take a look. 4.1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat, and then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. He said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, that's important, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Ever been in one of those groups where somebody's talking and everybody's nodding, and then later on they go, what did he mean by that, Right? And he replied, verse 11, he replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, why would he not want that to happen? We'll unpack that later as we go through Mark. But then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and at once take it away. And the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. Anybody have the worries of this life? 
the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. This is the word of God. So what's he saying here? He's saying that the difference between those who hear the word of God and grow and become mature, strong people who can, who can withstand all of the pressure that life puts on us. It, it, those are people where the seed goes deep, right? If you look through this, and I, I, whenever he talks about the, the parable of the sowers in the Gospels, you know, and, and, and Jesus may have told, if he told a parable once, he may have told it a hundred times. And again and again, the problem is whether the seed has a chance to get deep enough in good soil to take root and have a chance to really grow. In many ways, it's, it's simply a depth problem. It's a problem of depth. What does this have to do with anxiety? Well, he says, he says, one of the reasons why it doesn't go deep is because the worries of this world. Pressure comes and, and then we just fall away or we fold up. We collapse, right? I, I've said this before, um, you know, a few weeks ago when I was preaching and talking about how there, there are too many grown boys who look like men, right? And what was scary was to look around and see the girls smile and, and nod, you know, like this, that there are so many boys out there who act tough and all that kind of stuff that spend most of their time playing Halo 4. And then whenever real pressure, like, comes, they're, like, in the corner in the fetal position sucking their thumb, right? They just can't handle it, right? And it, it, we have this problem. We have a serious depth problem. Why? What's the, what's the deal? Anxiety at its root, the worries of this world, how Jesus puts it, how the New Living Translation puts it. Anxiety is a fear of the future. Now, if you think about it, it's always really tied to a fear of the future. What tomorrow is going to bring. What the next moment is going to bring. It's a fear of the future. Now, it's odd that we have, if you think about it, it's odd that we fear the things, if you look back at the things that we've been angst out about, a lot of times are never as bad as we feared they would be. And yet we all know we worry about those things. But we don't worry about eternal things, even though we know that one day all of us are going to die. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? So the, the line from Fight Club... On a long enough timeline, the mortality rate is 100%, right? I mean, that's just, that's how it works. We don't spend so much time worrying about that for some reason until sickness does get. We spend so much time worrying about things that really don't matter because we have a depth problem. Why do we worry about those kind of things? When we all know one day we're going to have to face that final test, 
reminds me of you know when I was uh, a teenager, and, and as many of you know, I ran away from home when I was a teenager, and I ran off to Hollywood to try to be a director. And one of the things I found out was that if you want to if you want to fit in in Hollywood, one of the things you have to do with the cocktail parties and all that other kind of stuff in Hollywood is you have to you have to know movies. I mean, you have to really know movies. And when I say really know movies, I'm not talking about like you know when they say you have to know movies, you have to know like classics. And by classics, they don't mean Pretty Woman. Okay, I mean they mean they mean like Citizen Kane and Casablanca, and you've got you've got to know these kind of things. And 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 one of my favorite classic movies is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's it's considered by film aficionados to be the greatest screenplay ever written. And there's this there's this scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid where uh, there are these two outlaws. It's a, it's a it's a western, and there are these two outlaws, and they're being chased by this posse, and the posse have chased them to a cliff, and they're standing on a cliff. And they have very few bullets left. And the posse's around them. And they're looking down. And, and, and there's this river gorge. And it's hundreds of feet below where they're at. And they're looking up at the, them. And they're looking down at the gorge. And, 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 and Butch looks at Sundance. And he says, I know. Let's jump. Let's just jump. And Sundance says, I'm not jumping. I'm fighting. He said, you hardly have any bullets left. We can't fight. Let's jump. He said, I'm not jumping. Why? He said, I'm not jumping. Why? He said, because I don't know how to swim. And Butch goes, who cares? The fall will kill you. <laughs> and that's how we are. Right? We, we worry about these things when, when, when there are greater things out there. I mean, why do we worry about the little things in life, the worries of life that, that, that choke us? It's a depth problem. But the Bible says that the Bible says that it, the way to maneuver through life is not to ignore the problems of this life, to not to ignore death, not to all. It, it's not that if you go into like, I mean, there are not many bookstores left, but I'm a geek and I still love bookstores, so I'll, I'll walk through a Barnes and Noble or something like that, and and if you go to like the self help aisle. Um, which, you know, one of my favorite jokes of all time, the guy asks uh, the information desk, where's the self-help aisle? And, if I, he, and the girl goes, if I told you, that would defeat the purpose. Um, the, the self, you go to the self-help aisle and you look at the books and all the books talk about visualize a positive future. And I'm like, what if you haven't got a positive future? Right? What if you've got nothing but trouble in front of you? What good is it going to do to visualize a positive future? Think positive, and, and, and positive things will, will happen. Will they? Right? Is, it, is that true? I'm not so sure. The Bible doesn't say to do that. The Bible doesn't say that you just kind of, you know, try to trick yourself into thinking things like aren't the way they are. That's not what the Bible says. There's a, there's a philosopher by the name of Ernest Becker, and he said the only life worth living is the life lived facing the truth of life and all of its terror. That sounds depressing, but, but, but it's true, right? Because then you're, you're living a real life. You know what's going on. You're dealing with reality, and the Bible wants you to deal with reality, and the Bible even wants you to deal with, with, with death and, 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 you know, T typically in our culture, we don't deal with death at all. Those who do, you know, they come off as deep, right? People who think about death, death all the time. But they only come off deep if they think it has, like, no meaning, right? You know, my favorite kind of 
atheist who always talks about death is Woody Allen, filmmaker Woody Allen, right? I love his lines about death. He talks about death all the time in his movies. And he says, you know, he says things like, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens, you know? He says, I want to achieve immortality by not dying, you know? He says those kind of lines because he's always talking about death, but it's obvious that he's incredibly petrified by death. I watched a documentary this week, and he's talking about all his friends who've died. You can see that he's really jarred by it. Now, the Bible wants you to deal realistically, but it doesn't want you to be, like, nihilistic and pessimistic and dark either. So we deal with the reality of life, but we don't walk around, you know, like that one clerk that's always pouting at Hot Topic, right? It's not like that either. Um, So what are we to do? The Bible talks about, I mean, when you look at Jesus, I mean, Jesus gathers the disciples around before he leaves them. And it's like, you know, he's been resurrected from the grave, and he gathers around and goes, you know, I'm going to send you out. And 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 they're going, oh, he said, you know, the the master, the son of God who's been resurrected is going to send us out in the world. Yes, and they're going to persecute you and kill you. Happy Easter, right? And, 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 and we see, like, when God takes the prophet Jeremiah, and he's like, Jeremiah, you're going to go, and you're going to preach to the people. And he's like, oh, okay, great. And so I'm going to go preach to the people, and the people are going to repent, right? And he goes, no, nobody's going to listen to you. Right? This happens again and again. So why is it that, you know, that Jesus can tell the disciples this, that, you know, you're going to go out, and, and people are literally going to throw rocks at you. I mean, and you're, you're, you're going to be hated and all this other kind of stuff, and they still do it. Why is it that Jeremiah is told, you know, nobody's going to listen to you, and they still go out and they do it? What, what's going on there? They have something that most of us don't. They have that depth. It's the, it's the Spirit of God has worked in them a depth that so many of us, even in the church, lack. And we're just as guilty about the worries of this life. And it ends up choking the depth of that seed. And as a result, we have great turnover in the church. We have people come for a couple weeks. They, you know, and then they go and they try watching Joel Osteen at home. And then, you know, then they, that even becomes too much. And then they, like, think it's spiritual to watch Oprah every once in a while or something like that. Yeah, and, and, you have, and, and so you have that kind of cycle. And we just end up being too shallow. The strategy is not to whistle past the graveyard, and the strategy is not to become consumed by darkness and death and be depressed all the time. It, it's neither one of those things. I was, I've been listening to one of my two favorite preachers in the world is this guy named Tim Keller, and, and I, I listen to him every week. You know, you guys come for some reason and listen to me and Dave, but I, you know, when you're a preacher, you don't really get to listen to anybody preach unless you go out and podcast somebody, and so I listen to Tim Keller. And, I, and Tim Keller, I've been listening to him preach through the Psalms. And he was preaching through Psalm 27, like uh, I was listening to about a week ago. And, and, and Psalm 27 is, is a psalm written by David. It's on page 332 in the Blue Bibles. And, and, and this struck me. It kind of ties into what I was preparing uh, for tonight. 332, Psalm 27. I'm just going to look at the first four Verses and, and for those of you who've ever been raised anywhere near a church, you, you kind of know this 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 psalm because it gets repeated a lot. Verse one: The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble when evil people come to devour me? 
When my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Now notice, he doesn't say, because I believe in God and, and, and I am you know, claiming my kingdom promise, my enemies will not come to me. He says, no, my enemies will come. They're going to come. I am going to be attacked. Things are going to be dark. That is going to happen. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. So David knows trouble will come. He says that. And the answer to the trouble that he talks about in verses 1, 2, and 3 is in verse 4. He says to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be with God. Now, he's not literally saying that the answer to, you know, when armies come and try to, to take him out, right? That when, 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 when trouble comes, that he's not saying literally the thing to do is go hide in the church, right? He's not saying I'm going to the temple of God and I'm just going to hide there until all this blows over. He's not saying I'm just going to go live in the temple and be a priest and then everything is going to be okay. That's not what he's saying. What David is saying is that this, this is Hebrew way of saying, I, I want to be in the presence of God. I want to feel the presence of God. I want to have a relationship with God so strong that I am not afraid of anything. That my confidence is that because I belong to God, God will always do right. Now hear me here. Because God will always do right does not mean you won't have trouble come in your life. It just means that when trouble comes in your life, because you belong to God, God knows best and he will use it in a great way and everything will be okay in the end. That you can face trouble. If you belong to God and you know the presence of God and the presence of God is there, you feel it, you know it, you have this relationship with God, you can face trouble without any fear because you feel God is with you. To dwell in the house of the Lord, that's just to be there with God. And what Keller said I thought was really brilliant. He said, you know, in our day, what we call stress, anxiety, it's really fear, and it's, it's fear that's proportionate to whatever our greatest joy is. And you think about that for a second. You have very little anxiety about something you don't care to lose, right? You may get irritated if your kid or somebody, somebody borrows something yours, they don't return it, right? Your kid breaks a video game or something. It may irritate you, but you don't get stressed out of it. You don't collapse. If you do come talk to me, you need counseling. Okay? But typically you don't because your level of joy invested in that is not that high. Right? It's when you invest something with a great deal of where you get your joy, that's where you get great anxiety. Does that make sense? What you value most will bring you the most anxiety when there's a fear of losing it. That's anxiety. That's where it comes from. We're afraid of losing something that we value. That's anxiety. What do you do about it? Well, here's what I think. Most of our anxiety comes from a misplaced joy. 
when we really get great anxiety, it's, it's common to get little anxiety, right? You can't drive through New Boston at 8 o'clock in the morning and not get a little anxiety, right? And, and by the way, if you're that person that you're a good law-abiding person who always drives under the speed limit and you really like the left lane, let's talk. <laughs> the right lane is your lane. Stay there. Left lane is my lane, okay? <laughs> You're going to have some level of anxiety. But most of us can deal with that level of anxiety, right? It's when we totally get consumed and we think, oh my gosh, my life is going to end. It's all over. Everything's crumbling down. Why? Because, you know what that is? We have, been, we have taken something that may be a good thing. You may be in a relationship with someone. Being in a relationship with someone is fine. You may have, you know, you have a child and, and you love your child and that's great. God has given you that child. That, that's a good thing. You may have a job and it's a good thing to have a job. It's a great thing to tithe to your church when you get a job. It's, it's a, these are great these are great things. But if you are absolutely crushed by the fear of losing these things, that means you have taken this good thing and you have made it a godlike thing. And when a godlike thing collapses, when it, you, it's shown to be a false god and it starts to fall apart, that's when you fall apart because you have placed all your joy in that thing that is crumbling. Make sense? But you can't do that with God. See, what David knew, what Jeremiah knew because of the work of God's Spirit what Paul knew in prison, what, what the disciple, all the 12 disciples, 11 disciples knew, what, what, what Jesus obviously knew was that because his, their greatest joy was in their relationship with God, and you cannot lose a relationship with God if you love God, that they, it doesn't matter. They can take everything away from them because they can never take the love of God away. You always have that. No matter what, rich poor, healthy, stage four cancer, whatever, you, they, no one can take God's love away from you. And if that's your greatest joy, you will never be crushed. You will never have that kind of anxiety that crushes you, that, that brings on depression, that brings that, that won't be there. If God is your greatest joy. Does that make sense? Now, how do you do this? You say, okay, most of you are, 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 are willing to buy in, but a lot of you come to me, you come to Dave, you come to Justin and Ryan, and you're like, I can't get rid of this sin, I can't get rid of this anxiety, I can't get rid of this depression, I, I struggle with this all the time, I cannot grow, what is going on, why won't God do this for me? And I understand that I've been there. But then I, I always ask this question. How often are you praying? Uh, every once in a while. How often are you reading your Bible? Oh, you know. No, I don't. Do you, do you come to church? Do you worship? Do you sing to God? Um, Sometimes. I've used this analogy before. I apologize, but um, I don't know how else to put this. Let's say you have a friend, and your friend 
wants to run a marathon. And they come to you and they say, I, you know, I just, I want to get in shape. I'm going to eat right and I'm going to run a marathon. My goal is a year from now, I'm going to run a marathon. Great, what are you going to do? Well, tomorrow I'm going to go out and I'm going to run as far as I can. I'm going to eat right and I'm going to go as far as I can. Okay, great. And they go out and they run a mile. You're like, hey, that's a start, right? That's a start. Now tomorrow go a mile and a half. Whatever, just, you know, just keep, keep pushing yourself. Okay, and the next day they go out and they do a mile and a half. Then the next morning it's really cold. You know, they turned on VH1 and the new Kelly Clarkson video was on. It was on. <laughs> I was waiting for Josh to weigh in. So I was, um, <laughs> and, and it was on while my wife was on the treadmill today. So, and it comes on, and then you just, you're going to sit there, and you go, so you skip that day, right? And then the next morning, hey, you got up late, you skip that day. And, you know, the next day, well, I stayed out really late, you know, for godly reasons. But I stayed out really late, and, you know, I, you know. And then you just go on like this month after month, and it's like marathon time. And you get up there, and, they, and you, know, you hear the gun, and you go a mile and a half, and then you collapse. Right? And they're like people with rascal scooters and walkers going right past you. Right? And you go to your friend and go, I don't know what happened. This, this isn't fair. This isn't right. All I want to do is run a marathon. And you're like, you idiot, you didn't do anything. You can't run a marathon if you, if you ran for a day or two days and then took 11 months off. You've got to run like almost every day. You've got to eat right. You've got to, you know how this works. You see where I'm going with this? People come to me and like, I don't feel the presence of God. I don't feel close to God. You pray? Well, no. So you don't feel the presence of God, but you're not talking to him. Yeah. You're not reading the Bible? No. Not worshiping? No. And this is God's fault? How bad do you really want this? Right? If you want that kind of peace, if you want to love God and be that close to God, see, one of the things, ways to tell you're doing is your anxiety level is going to start to go down because the closer you get to God everything else is seen for what it is which is temporary it's just not that poor there's God and people and everything else is just can go right how's your level of anxiety Are you, do you spend all your time thinking about the worries of this life because Jesus says, the seed of the gospel, the truth of his word, his spirit will not sink deep into your heart and to your soul if you're too busy worrying about the things of this life. It just won't happen. And the way to do that, he's given us in grace upon grace. He could say, hey, I died on the cross, rest is up to you. But he doesn't do that. He gives us instruments of grace. He gives us prayer. He gives us worship. He gives us his word. He says, look, use these things, and I'll be there, and I'll help you. And we'll come along. How much do you want? That's why I tell people, right? You want to run a marathon? You go out and you run a mile tomorrow morning. You want to get closer to God? You want your anxieties to go away? You get up and you pray for five minutes tomorrow morning. Five minutes. And the next morning you pray for six minutes. 
And the next morning you pray for seven minutes, and then eight minutes, and nine minutes, and you build on that till you're up to at least half an hour a day. Half an hour a day of prayer. So how is that possible? People do it all the time. And you read your Bible every day, and you come to church and you worship. Worship means, oh, I hope Caleb sings this song, and then I can listen to it. It's not that. It's, it's whatever song they sing, here we go, and I'm going to sing to God with everything I got. Right? And you do that, and you do that, and you do that. And you're going to go a mile, and then two miles, and then three miles, and then four miles, and then five miles. And you're going to get closer and closer and closer to God. And the closer to God you get, the more the worries of this life fade away. Don't you want to be free? That's how it is. How badly do you want it? How badly do you want it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. In grace upon grace, you have given us not just your life, your life, a perfect life lived, your, your death on the cross, but you also give us your word. You're there for us in prayer always. You give us your church to love, to hold us accountable, and to worship you so that we may dwell in your house. We may feel your presence so that the worries of this life do not choke us, do not keep the truth of your gospel from sinking deep within us. And I pray that everyone here truly desires that peace, who truly desires a relationship with you, that they will pray, that they will study, that they will worship. They'll grow closer to you and bring others to you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.